0: This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Cavalry Audio listeners welcome back uh brandon morgan producer of the show and i'm here as always with our creator narrator writer carolyn osorio hello Carolyn. hi how are you
0: i'm I'm doing well how are you
1: i'm great i'm busy because of you so that's good uh i'm uh, excited for the show uh by the time people hear this we'll have launched so it's uh it's been a lot of work leading up to it as you know and uh it's been a lot of great work, so um, I'm very proud of, of what we've been able to do so far. So, uh, so I I, I got listen, I've been honest with you. I haven't been looking forward to talking about this episode. This one was hard for me. It was a tough one, but I think it's important. Um, and it's important for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think one of the most important reasons is that it harkens back to a time that I think people of our generation, Gen X, we look back on nostalgically. You know, it's a lot of pride. You know, like... We were the, there was a meme that went around recently that, um, by like a Gen Z or Gen Y or that said that Gen X is the ultimate fuck around and find out generation, right? Like, we you were-
0: just some, You just got some, grit on your face for people who can't yeah. see you, and I think your arms just folded. It's like- They did.
1: Yeah, no, they did. They, you're, uh, absolutely. Because they were saying, like, this is the generation that, like, you don't want to mess around with. Like, they were making themselves, themselves dinner at nine years old, and- and spending hours alone when they were five and you know starting businesses at 12 right and so while that is hyperbolic that there, there is some truth to it that you know at least brad pitt said it in uh, in fight club that you know we're a generation of men raised by single women you know i'm i'm one of them you know so there was a lot of not opportunity for for kind of independence there was it was required like you didn't have a choice you know yeah, and so we so. tend to carry that around as like a badge of honor now. But this episode, I think, highlights a major, major fucking drawback to that is that.
0: You know, I have an interesting um, thing that you might push back on me on mm-hmm. because um, I really appreciate that about our generation. You know, I think mm-hmm. that it, there's there's a lot that's been lost, you know, because of it. And um, in this case, for me, there's a, there's a couple of reasons why I was interested in doing it, but it was that nobody did anything wrong In the parents didn't do anything wrong. I mean, not like we want to place blame on people, but like, there's no, nothing, the people who did wrong were the, were the assholes, the murderers who did this, you know, but as far as yeah. like the family and the kids and the investigators and all of that, it's like, you know, it comes down to what kind of a society do we want to live in, you know, and 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 they didn't do anything wrong, you know, in my in my opinion, you know,
1: I, I get it. I, I totally get it. And I'm torn as a parent because you never know how what kind of parent you're going to be. right? You never know until you're there in the moment. And and I guess I'm kind of I'm not a helicopter parent by any means, but I think I'm a little bit more protective of my daughters uh, than some other parents. Not 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 crazy. Like I let them do stuff. I drop them off at the mall and, and but you know like walking on the street to like get somewhere. I'm just worried about drivers and, and that kind of stuff. I'm not as worried about abduction and stuff like that, but but with regard to, to this case with, with Michelle and with Jennifer, like I was I was the, the boy version of them. I spent all day, every day on my bicycle in my town in Jersey. And and if I needed to go somewhere, I was on my bike. My mom was working, my dad wasn't around, I had shit I needed to do. Right, so I was on my bike nonstop. Mm-hmm. And, and my mom and my mom trusted me, trusted my friends, you know. And and we were and thankfully we were good kids. We weren't out looking for trouble, you know. So we were right to be trusted, but there were some other kids that should not have been trusted at all. But to your point, these girls, these girls, they didn't do anything wrong. They they did they did nothing wrong. And that's um and that's what makes it so such a brutal Case to 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 listen to, and uh, and just so uh, so rough. I mean, do, do, were you uh, like a, 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 a like Stranger Things kid on a bike riding around town when you were twelve? That what was you that, did?
0: I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, here's I'm going to add another extra layer to this. Um, I actually my parents we moved here from New York when I was one, and so mm. we. My sister and I like rode these streets, you know, we were just totally like on our skates, on our bikes and, and we were going to this park point defiance. I mean, we, we basically like, that was our summer. That was our, you know, our, our existence. I loved this place. I bring my kids to this place. They still have a restaurant called the antique sandwich shop that my mom used to take us to. And I go there and it's exactly the same. And um, so I felt like part of the reason why I wanted to cover the case, too, is that I was like really pissed off that this wonderful memory that I had, you know, growing up here um, was really tainted. And obviously it's not about me, but I, I just think that it really was an ideal place to grow up for me at that time it was just some of my best childhood memories are there and of course it included all of those things which is walking right. a mile to the park by yourself so, well
1: let's make it about you for a second so in 86 you were the same age as these girls 12 13 years old right
0: um yeah so, yeah so we moved away like a few years
1: right before right. this
0: happened but yeah i mean um my sister was three years older than me she was I mean, we were walking there, I feel like I was like seven and she was, you know, 10 and we were just like, see ya. And, wow. uh, you know, and that's what we did. And my dad was a police officer at the time. Yeah. So, like, it's not like he was somebody who was just like not present, you know?
1: Do you remember, I, I got a weird, weird, weird story that I'll tell you in a second, but did anything strange ever happen to you when you were a kid? Any like close calls, anything like anything where you're like keeps you up at night sometimes as a grown up,
0: oh my gosh, yeah, but I mean, I think that um, there were the feelings that you had, I felt like I was had a real sense of like a I mean, I'm not like a woo-woo person, but I definitely felt yeah, like yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah you are, no, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Only when it comes to you, no. <laughs> um, no. I, 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 just feel like I've, I have always been a sixth sense type person. Like, if you feel mm-hmm. like danger, yeah. get away. You know, yeah. I, and I've really taught my kids that too. Absolutely. You know, and and really trusting that instinct. But know, ha- at how
1: it, way, at, at what age <clears throat> do you expect your kids to have that spidey sense? Where because because what I was taught was. If something feels wrong, something's wrong. You just get out of there.
0: Absolutely. Okay. And, you,
1: and because what, what, what have you to lose if yeah. you overreacted? At least you're safe.
0: So i you're I've right, had, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I've had situations where, I mean, 9-11 just happened, right. You mm-hmm. know, the anniversary of it just happening. Yeah. And one of the things that always um, struck out in my mind about that is like when the when people came out of the building, and then law enforcement told them to go back in, because obviously they didn't know. They didn't know what what had happened, right. And so they went back in to the building and lost yeah. their lives as a result. And of course, nobody nobody could know. but they they had to wonder, like, we just thought to get down here. Why, you know, should we go back inside? But just that idea of following authority, Um, Yeah, that has always stuck out. And my daughter just happens to be visiting, you know, New York City. She's 18. And she went to the memorial and she's like, I remember mom telling me and using that as an example of like sometimes and especially with like school shootings and things like that. Like you really need to dial into that it's not like I'm like fuck authority all the time, every time, but sometimes when people are in authority and they think they're telling you something and your instinct is to do something else, yeah. like don't just discount that instantaneously. Yeah. I have it,
1: friends. I have friends that, that, that survived that worked in, in the world trade center. And it's funny, your story, um, the ones that had been there for a while and that were working there when the bombing attempt happened in 93, Okay. Remember they tried to take it down to 93, the bad guys. Right. And so then this happens in one eight years later and people say stay inside. It's safe. They're like, fuck that. Okay. <laughs> We're out of here and just left and just ran North. Right. And they all, and they all made it. So, because they, that's instinct through experience, right. It's instinct and experience because they've been there been through it before. And they're like, it's going to be safer out here. And living in LA for as long as I have, when there's earthquakes and shit, you want to run outside, but that's the dangerous place to go because if there's stuff falling, right? If you're going to go outside, you got to make sure that you're farther away than like the tallest building is tall because it could collapse. Like there's all this stuff. And I guess the prevailing wisdom now is, you, you know, the triangle of safety and you find a place that's safe and you get there. But it's, it's just all, man, it's, it's, it's just as a parent, it's, it's just really, really tough. It's really, really tough. And and but so so when you were when you were, right, well, I'll I'll tell you what happened to me. So I was right around this age. I was a little bit younger. I have a I have a, I have a brother who's three years older than me as well. And uh, we were on vacation in Hilton Head Island. Okay, and this was back in the eighties, right around the time this was happening, maybe a little earlier, like early like eighty two, eighty three. And uh, and the island wasn't what it is now. A lot there was a lot of construction. It was just kind of coming into its own with golf and with hotels and all that. So it was a bunch of construction and we would rent this little condo across from the beach. And, uh, you know, so we'd have to go to the little grocery store down the, down the block every day. And between our condo and the grocery store was a big construction site for a hotel. And so one morning me and my brother by ourselves, were walking through this construction site to go get stuff for the house. And this fucking guy in his like thirties just kind of comes out. Hey boys, what are you doing? Right. And instantly, my brother's like, takes a little thing back. And I'm like, oh, we're playing. We're just some eight or nine, right? And he goes, oh, what are you playing? I'm like, there's just all these piles of stuff. We're just playing. He goes, let's uh, he goes, let's play, you know, uh, uh, free like the guy in jail. I'm like, okay. So he pretends that like he's tied up. And I go up there and I go, oh, you're free. He's like, okay, great. Then he pulls a fucking length of rope out of his pocket. And he says, now you'll be the prisoner and I'll tie you up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's right there. My brother goes, hey, Brandon. I'm like, yeah. He goes, run. I'm like, okay. And we just start running. Like, I'll do whatever the fuck anybody tells me, right? Because <laughs> I'm a little kid. And he just goes, just keep running. I'm like, okay. Now we're running. And, we, and we're gone. I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we're going home. And we get in there and he tells my parents, this guy just tried to tie Brandon up. And da-da-da-da. They called the cops. And he was just like fucking child molester who was out. And my brother had the, the street smarts and I didn't yet, but I learned it right then.
0: And that's awful. The, my mom. That's yeah, the my mom circle, cried for three days. That's yeah. the full circle part, though, Brandon. It's that, yeah. you know, if you don't, how can kids possibly be taught these horrible lessons? Unfortunately, yeah. like I bet you, you never, ever, ever did that again, you know? Oh my
1: gosh. And
0: <laughs> and my sister looked at had my back, you know, my older sister, because I was much like you were, where I was like, oh, hi, Ooh. you know? <laughs> and, and so, because you're eight. I mean, you're you're just being, you know, you're just being friendly, and so eight,
1: yeah,
0: right. So it is hard to, um, you know, getting back to Paradise Lost. You know, I think that that's the point of it is that it's it's really tough. But again, it kind of goes back to what kind of society do we want to live in? Do we want to not let kids go out at all? And I think that as Gen Xers, like it's heartbreaking to think about that because we did have so much freedom. We did have so much, you know. You you know you fall down you get back up you put some dirt you know wipe the dirt away and and move on and I do think that it teaches you a lot of things but um but there is you know the danger of it and that's and that's really kind of why cases like these are, are just kind of like give you a lot to think about you know not just in the tragic sense but also in kind of like well nobody did anything wrong and look what happened but then you know are you not going to let your kids go out and play?
1: You know, yeah. oh god! I can tell yeah. you're
0: just totally like pondering this.
1: I am, I am. It's, because it's, it's great it's, watching you
0: squirm. It really is.
1: <laughs> I have a twelve-year-old and a ten-year-old. You know, and and they're very active and they like doing stuff. And as much as I hate seeing them in their rooms, like playing video games, I know they're fucking safe there. You know. Yeah. You know,
0: it's not, it's not, that's where it becomes difficult because like I have um, my son who was definitely more um, introverted Um, and so letting him, he seemed more vulnerable to me. You know, I have Mm. kids, a lot of kids, so it's like they have different whatever. And um, I had to force myself to let him walk home from the bus stop every day. And I just, you know, we live in a, you know, really safe neighborhood, knock on wood, you know, very much like the the neighborhood we'll be talking about today. And literally it's like a half a block away, you know, and I even had a mom take him home and I'm like, please don't give my son a ride home because I want him to learn how to walk home. And Mm. so she, I was getting some pushback from her. And of course, then it was just like, I, and I just finally said to her, I was like, you know, she kept doing it. And I said, you know, you don't know how hard this is for me to let him walk home alone, please. You know, and I'm sitting there with my, you know, I've got my timer on and I'm like, <laughs> you know, ready to have him be home and knowing like, he's not going to be two hours before I'm like, Oh, well, where's Patrick? You know, it's like, right, I'm waiting right, for right. my son. It's taking everything, you know? And, um, but, but I feel like you got to give them those experiences because if you don't, it's like how are they going
1: right. to ever learn? Right,
0: right.
1: No. Oh my gosh! All right. So what I find interesting about Paradise Lost, mm-hmm. I draw a connection to um, some of the middle episodes and early episodes of the Shadow Girls, mm-hmm. where um, the the kind of investigative kind of, it's not rule, just maybe a guideline that. Uh, you can expect a perpetrator to insert themselves into the investigation sometimes. Right. And so that's not exactly what happened, but with this guy with Robert Washburn, right. When he called about the first little girl that went missing about the jogger, like he was telling the truth, like he actually had a tip. Right.
0: That's the thing. I mean, I don't think he did. I think he, that's how diabolical that was. He he, did both. He, he, okay. That's where it gets confusing because he's calling in four months before he kills Jennifer Jennifer Bastian. Right. And so one could probably say maybe he was setting it up in his mind. We don't know. And he wouldn't talk. But to me, the way I read that was, and the way that Lynn's Detective Wade um, kind of laid that out in, in her, her thought process was that he was planning this, you know, who knows? You know, the fact that he called in. Once, about, yeah, You know, he had and inserted himself into the investigation, you know, could show premeditation. It could show many things. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's what's so scary about it. But I'm sure he ah. wasn't doing it to be a concerned citizen. I can, you know, pretty much, I, I think it's a pretty safe bet.
1: Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. So I'm just, I was just trying to get into the psyche of this, of this guy. Um, that just how broken these, these people are that do these things. And that's mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, that is what is what leads to their capture. You know that there's something inherently just fucked up. Obviously, because of the crimes that they commit, but that does that also prevent them from getting away with it? You know, like it's very kind of like Dostoevsky, and you're like, what's worse, committing the crime or getting away with it? Right? With Raskolnikov's kind of tortured kind of existence, you know. Um, So is that like a cry for help, like that? That that they want to be caught. I used to live down the street from a prosecutor in the for the justice department in Los Angeles, who who did all the uh, the bank robberies, right? And we just have barbecues and shit and our kids were friends. And I would always ask him about well the craziest case or whatever, whatever. And he's super smart. And he would say, he'd say, he goes, I'll tell you this, Brandon, if you're ever in a if you're ever in a gym and you need a quick like twenty thousand dollars, rob one bank one time and be smart and never do it again, and you'll get away with it. Those are the guys that we can never catch. It's the guys that get greedy and come back and do because we can't catch them. Until they develop a pattern after like, th- after three or four of these robberies. He goes, if you do it one time and you walk in with a piece of paper that says, I've got a bomb and I'm going to blow the place up or give me the money, they're trained to give you the money and you walk out and you keep your cool. He goes, we'll never fucking catch you. I go, are you kidding me? He goes, yeah, we, he goes, he goes, our work hinges on the stupidity of criminal being able to catch people. Yeah. I found that really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, cuz I really wouldn't think most bank robbers are actually successful, but you know that I've that I have I've done extensive research oh, I know. on bank robbers. So So yeah,
1: um, you could check the numbers of how many unsolved bank robberies there are. It'll we'll, we'll blow your mind.
0: Okay. Well, I I yeah. think that these two guys that these yeah. two men who murdered these two little girls <sighs> didn't have extensive criminal backgrounds like the the um the the man who murdered michella he had no criminal record whatsoever and i think that's what what threw them off because they were looking for somebody who had a pattern you know they well first they were looking for one person and then they found out out it was two and then they yeah. were looking for the ones that i mean and again this goes back to like like the creepers like you always think they're gonna have like fangs and uh claws and they're, they're gonna look you know, normal, you know, they, like
1: Gary Ridgway. they look like a, a nerdy little dumpy dude. Yeah,
0: right. Exactly. And yeah. so I think that, you know, they were looking for like the worst case, you know, that anybody who was going to do this would have done so many other horrific things to ramp up to getting to this point, And that just wasn't the case. At least they got away with it. I mean, we don't know, maybe they got away with more than them, you know, they didn't have a record or. Right. Or right.
1: So that, you know what? And that's even scarier, right? That there's just some maniac walking around who's on the brink and then here's an opportunity, just stumbles onto an opportunity. Here's a little girl by herself off of her bike looking for somebody else. And I could say, hey, I'll help you look for her or who knows what the conversation was, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just complete by force, you know, when this little kid, it's it's, just, And that just again spurred my my complete and utter fear of letting either of my kids go somewhere completely alone, completely alone. You know, and and I feel like I I wrote it down again because this is I love your writing often, especially when you say things like, "Fear had a pulse, being pumped by the raging heartbeat of parents whose worry had become all-consuming." Okay that's written from a parent who has experienced worry.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like what I said about my son, I mean, it's not easy, but I know that, you know, you can't, you know, you're causing harm by holding them back like that, you know, because of your issues. And, and I, and I totally, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that to you. I mean, I know you're a great dad and I don't want to be like, I'm sitting on my cloud floating. Like I'm perfectly okay with it because (laughs) it's really not easy. It's
1: not. I do it. I do it anyway. Like, my kids are definitely not shut in. Like, they go out and they do stuff, but I feel it. I feel it. And I see some of these asshole boys coming around and I know them and they try to act all cool, but I know these kids. I was either like them or I knew them growing up. Don't try and bullshit me. Right. Like, I know it. And I know your parents. And and so, it's just happening too
0: fast. Well, you've just been around the block. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
1: I guess so. Like these kids think that they're going to get over on me. I, it's just, uh, I know. I know, but what, um, why
0: do you care if they do try to get something over on you? Like, why are you trying to control it? They, they, you're not going to be the cool <laughs> dad. You know, you're not going to be like, what are you trying to do here? I mean, it's like,
1: I would rather all the great relationships I have in my life are brutally honest. It's it. Brutally honest. Like, no matter what. I would give me the harsh harsh truth all the time. Okay. Because I'd I'd rather know where I stand than just be in limbo and like trying to figure figure shit out. And so 12 year old boys think that they have to fool people, especially parents of girls that they like. Okay. Like that's it. And so I would rather have an honest conversation with a 12 year old if they just don't lie to me.
0: Mm -hmm. I know, but okay. you were that twelve-year-old little boy too. Of why, can't, why can't you just let this kid pull the wool over your eyes and you have that I, knowledge inside? Like, dude, I know exactly what you're doing, but I'm still going to break the, game. the cycle.
1: Trying to break the cycle. Okay.
0: Oh my gosh. That's Good all. luck.
1: That's all. Good luck. I, because because I didn't have a lot of girlfriends whose parents liked me or trusted me.
0: Okay, right. here it is, right there. Okay. That's <laughs> where this and is.
1: Right, but they should have trusted me until I was a senior in high No, I'm sorry. I was a junior in high school, and my girlfriend was a senior. And When I first started dating her, her mom fucking hated me for no reason. Other than she just hated me, all right? But then by the end, before she was leaving for college, um, the last like three months of our relationship, if she was going anywhere, she'd say, make sure Brandon's there. Make sure Brandon's with you. Is Brandon going with you? Make sure Brandon's there. Then she was like, oh, okay. I'm like, oh, now you trust. So I get it now. I know what she's – I see both sides of it. See both sides of it. I'm just saying that we could have avoided a lot of a lot of shit early on in that relationship if she had just trusted me and if we'd been able to have an honest conversation. But uh, pie in the sky, I guess. Do you hear me? We're talking about twelve-year-old boys that I want to reason with.
0: I I know okay. that's why I'm sitting here trying to say like good luck. You're it's yeah. like pushing a rock up a hill. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> that's the whole fun of it. They want to snow you. They want to think that. That, right. that you're clueless, but you know what? Just let them think that, because you know you're
1: not. You know. So so, talk to me about getting back to this wonderful, terrifying episode, Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. Where? Talk to me about afterwards. What do you mean? Like, well, because it became big in the late '80s and the early '90s with you know naming laws after children that were abducted or killed or whatever, or you know. Um, uh, with the, the the guy on TV all the time, with you know uh, America's Walsh. Most Wanted, yeah. John Walsh, like all of that. Like, did any was there any mm-hmm. legislation passed? Was there any any laws, anything about these girls to to protect other people?
0: This is perfect because I think that this was the other part about this case. I know this was the other part that I really wanted to draw attention to was that uh, first of all, you know, the parents didn't do anything wrong. They were just letting their girls have fun yeah. and, and do amazing things and build resiliency and all of that. And, um, you know, have that sense of freedom when you're a 12 and 13 year old girl, like you are, you know, coming into your own and you can stand on your own and all of that. The other thing was, is that, um, the, the mom, um, Jennifer's mom and detective Wade, I'm almost done. I'm just doing an interview Mm -hmm. um, sorry.
1: All right, go back a little bit, give us a clean edit.
0: Okay. Um. So Jennifer's mom and uh, Detective Wade, even after these cases were solved, because they had become so close during this investigation, this long, long investigation, and they worked to put legislation forward to um, get the DNA of... Um, I think it was just, let me look this up here real quick. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. I'm sorry. Um, let me just try to wing this. Okay. So they basically wanted to get these DNA databases to include um, predators that maybe wouldn't have been in the, the database because oftentimes these cases, they start off with robberies and burglaries and things like that as a prelude to, you know, people are, they're lurking around. And so getting these folks into the database is key because had they been identified sooner, you know, you, you start building a profile against them.
1: Okay. So to identify someone before, before they commit these terrible crimes, get them in the system,
0: get them them locked
1: up on something else.
0: Yeah. Or like, or like, you know, there's so many, people that are in jail that have their, unless in our, in Washington state, I think it is where you have to commit a felony to have them get your DNA. And so, um, you know, Mm. a lot of these, like, for example, Ted Bundy, you know, they didn't have his DNA on profile forever. And he was after he had been executed. And so then it's like all these cold cases, well, if they had his DNA. Wouldn't it make sense that one of the most prolific serial killers would be in the DNA database so that they could compare some of these cases to, you know, so kind of just shoring up um, laws in our state related to, um, you know, predators and and so starting to track them and make cases against them. And then, of course, all the rape kits that have yet to be, um, you know, we had a huge backlog here in Washington. Yeah, I
1: bet. I bet. You know, like Everywhere. thousands.
0: Thousands and and Detective Wade was actually a huge part of, um, you know this legislature, and then also uh, working on a team to get this backlog of of rape kits processed. She's just amazing. I just cannot say enough about about her work, about her and the work that she does. Under Jennifer and Michelle's law, law enforcement would be able to collect DNA from people convicted of indecent exposure. Um. And then this is Detective Lindsey Wade says in this King 5 article, it says, when it comes to sex offenders, indecent exposure can kind of be a gateway crime, or maybe it's something they start out doing and then leads to contact offenses. The law would also allow police to collect DNA from criminals who have died, many of whom committed crimes prior to 1990. Those offenders that were committing crimes mm-hmm. back in that timeframe may not be in the database, especially if they died in prison. So so basically and this and their law passed so um, that's great yeah so so they so they really did um amazing work to move the needle i
1: find that super interesting you can collect dna from someone after they're dead yeah right Mm -hmm. so you can close out some cold cases and give some families some closure it looks like yeah well listen as always it's great to talk to you and i wanted to um uh, warn people for what's next we have a two-parter yes called the, called the werewolf butcher
0: yeah yeah, this is, yeah. A, this is gonna be a doozy but um this is kind of like a piggyback onto this onto the paradise lost because yeah. it really gives you insight into a predator and how what they are willing to do it's almost like going undercover with a family to ultimately, you know, right their kid. And I think it's, you know, it's frightening, but I think it's also really good information. Um, you know, I mean, you can't walk through life like scared all the time, but I definitely think that, you know, many people listen to true crime because they want to know how to avoid being a victim if they can, and you can't yeah. fully, always avoid it. I don't think, but I think that you can actually, you know, think about maybe how we look at people a little bit differently, and it's truly yeah. frightening what what somebody's willing to to embed themselves in a family and what their motivations are and how they're able to cloak those motivations, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Well, that's a good tease, uh, and it's they're great episodes. They really are the two-parter and and, and the, the the content and story required two parts. I think I'm, I'm glad yeah. you decided to break it up like the way you did. And I think the takeaway from today is trust your gut. Something feels wrong. Something is wrong. And what I tell my girls, you know, always wear shoes that you can run in. Really? Learn that from a, a, a war correspondent. Uh, ask her what's the best piece of advice you can give someone, a woman in your line of work. She said, wear shoes you can run in. You never know what's going to go down. Good advice. That's a so, great
0: line. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh everybody, thank you for listening. Um hope we uh were able to give you a little bit more insight into this into this episode. Um and uh we appreciate you spending a little bit more time with us. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Please follow and rate and review. It really helps out a lot given those reviews. And um we haven't uh, checked the email yet, but please send any emails with questions or uh, potential show ideas to the Murder Chronicles at Cavalry Yeah,
0: we just really thank you for listening. And um, if you have a story that you would like to share, please feel free to email us. And, um, you know, we would love to hear your story.
1: Absolutely, we would. So until next time, everybody, uh, again, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time on the Murder Chronicles.
0: Yeah, Brandon, before we check out of here, I just wanted to take a moment to tell our listeners about Detective Lindsay Wade. She has a new book coming out in spring of 2023. The title is perfect, especially as you get to know her in the episode. It's called the title of the book is called It's In My DNA. And so I definitely recommend that. I can't wait to read it when it comes out. So the Jennifer and Michelle bill was signed into law in 2019, and basically because of their work, this new law will allow detectives to obtain DNA samples from deceased convicted sex offenders, and that information will help solve cold cases. And detectives now will also be able to collect DNA from those who are convicted of indecent exposure and put those samples into the state and national DNA databases in our next two-parter, The Werewolf Butcher, really unpack what indecent exposure is to a sexual, violent sexual predator, what what that is. I mean, you'll never look at a so-called flasher the same again. The Murder Chronicles is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and myself. Our executive producers are Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Josh Windish edited and mixed this episode. Music by Soundstripe. For Cavalry Audio, I'm Carolyn Osorio, your writer and host. Thanks for listening.